You are listening to Video Games to the Medium, a W2M Net original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for more content like this. Welcome all to another Video Games to the Medium. Uh, this is episode four. Uh, I'm Mark Morrison, joined by Jens Dietrich. Hello, hello. Howdy. Uh, this episode, we'll be talking a bit about what we've been playing, uh, a few news stories here and there, but the big thing will be uh, our top five game soundtracks of the year. Seems like a good uh, second half uh, topic, so I, I push this on Mark, just yep. so you know. You've got me to blame for this. But first, we should talk about things which we have been playing. Yep. Uh, the big thing, well, big is relative, but we've both been slogging through some Borderlands 3. <laughs> yep. Yep. Slogging is, I don't know if I, I don't know if slogging is necessarily the right word. It's not bad. The shooting feels good. We've got um, weapons now that are fairly satisfying. I think the um, the turning point for me really was that Halloween event. Because yeah. I got some good stuff out of the Halloween event, and then suddenly it's like, okay, yeah, this is uh, this is more fun at a higher level of play. Like once you get about ten hours in, it starts to feel really nice. The funny thing about the Halloween event is we barely even like broached it. Like there's like a whole bunch of other activities and events we should have been doing, but we didn't. <laughs> the game doesn't tell you how to do them well. So we just didn't do them or didn't even realize it until too late. <laughs> I really, I didn't feel like it was messaged to me that there was something else I yeah, should be doing. There's like a whole other page, but it's just like, oh, go to get three Halloween guns or, you know, you can unlock like chests if you do like different objectives. But it's like the game, like the actual game doesn't tell you how to do that well at all. Mm. It's like complete the pumpkin event or the pumpkin puzzle. It's like, what, what puzzle? I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So yeah. I don't like I don't like events like that where it doesn't tell you what to do or you have to like look on YouTube or you know some game fact to like figure it out. It's like introduce that a little in the game. It'd be nice. <laughs> mm. But yeah. go on. Oh no no please I I'd, I'd be curious for uh, I interrupted your impressions so do go on. It's fine. Uh, the story's bad. I, I really hate uh, every almost every character in that game. <laughs> It reminds me of like Duke Nukem, like as far as how abrasive they are. And I think one mm-hmm. and two had that somewhat, but there were at least, I think, a few more likable characters in both those games. Like every character in this game is just kind of aggressively shitty. I don't really have an issue with Lilith. I mean, yeah, she's uh, like the one, like, quote unquote, good character, I would say. Or like, I think. And Tannis- they're not really bad. I mean, like, um, Ellie isn't bad. She's just a. Uh... An unpleasant caricature of a character, but I she's mean, not a... That, that, that's the problem, is that Ellie is bad, not as a character, but because, like, how they, like, draw her, or, like, how they make fun of her. Yeah. Like, the writers themselves make fun of her, and it's like, that's... Why? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's just the, the, the Gearbox House style, I suppose, to have that kind of character writing. It's really, it's less the character writing for me, and more just the jokes uh, are very, um bad <laughs> they're the antithesis of what i'm looking for in humor 
Yeah. Let's put it that way. So uh, they do make me, and I know cringe is kind of an overused word now, and people use cringe to refer to pretty much everything, but it does make me cringe. It makes me actively, uh, or you just, you have something like, you know, the, the main bad guys in this game are um, obsessed with social media, which, well, you know, allows, allows the, the writers to satirize uh, streamers yeah. a bunch. Yep. Um, but it becomes, it, it it just goes on to the point of of being completely uh, insufferable when um, this character will just go on a rant that lasts for minutes at a time over the course of a mission and will not shut up. Right. I mean, that's why you uh, turned you turned the, the dialogue audio off, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I, at least up until the point where it was like the next conversation with a quest giver, where I was then because you can't skip past any of the yeah. conversation. I was then just feeling like I was standing around. Uh, twirling my fingers, missing out on content. But yeah, there is some content that I wanted to miss out on. Right. Uh, uh, like the actual gameplay is fine. Or like I think this is my first time playing a Borderlands game with like, with someone else. So that's been nice. Yeah, I couldn't. I've played the first two, as I think we've had this conversation when we talked to Sean about you know before this game came out, we talked about this. Yeah, is that I, I could not picture. Uh, playing Borderlands by myself. It's always been a co-op game for me. And, um, yeah, it sucks. I actually, I, I think a few nights ago, I played the Halloween event by myself just because I like had enough, whatever, ghost juice to open that portal. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And it was, well, it was easier because I didn't spawn in as many enemies. But I was like, this, this isn't fun at all. <laughs> like, this is just kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, it's still, you know, people are going to call me a hypocrite for calling Borderlands boring, and then singing the praises of Death Stranding right afterwards. So You, you like delivering shit more than you like killing monsters? <laughs> I know, I, I love killing monsters. I mean, we should probably also debrief on um, on Fire Emblem, now that I've finished it and you're in your third playthrough. Yep. Yeah, that's got plenty of monster killing. But... Um, so, what do you think of Borderlands? No, I mean, Borderlands Bor- 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 is fine. It's it's a good... Borderlands is a... To me, like, if I wasn't playing it with you, I obviously wouldn't be playing it. Right. But if I was playing it solo, it would be a good podcast game. Oh, yeah. Which is... What, what Death Stranding, to me, actually, is kind of a podcast and music listening game when I'm on those long walks. Right. So, um, I, I think it would be good for that. I, I think that that's my recommendation, is if you turn off the sound or if you kind of tune out the story and the jokes... And just just mechanically, I think it's perfectly enjoyable, well, also, especially once you get some of the good equipment. I think also if you have someone else to play it with, like at yeah. least one other person, it you know then becomes a much better prospect. <laughs> well, yeah, it helps. And a lot of the bosses are designed, I think, more for co-op, where um, you gain a distinct advantage by uh, yeah, having yeah. somebody draw fire and the other one coming from behind and that sort of thing. Typical co-op tactics. Yeah. So moving on to Fire Emblem... Uh, yes. What do you think now that you finished it? Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. Yep. Um, I know last time you complained about how it was too easy, and I was still too early in the game really to disagree with you. Yeah. And uh, now I feel like actually this game was balanced perfectly for me, because as somebody who made a bunch of mistakes, just like I expect, I think most people, I think unless you're going on a wiki or unless you're really... I don't know, maybe I'm just making excuses for myself, but as somebody who missed out on certain systems of the game, uh, well, who I mean, in a way didn't quite play it properly, so, I mean, um, the, the I, I difficulty did a curve still felt good to me. 
Well, I did the review of it, and I mentioned how we both missed out on like key systems in that game because they just didn't explain it at all. <laughs> like, right? Because I, like, I missed. Well, I, yeah. I missed out on how to uh, change your abilities, and then how to change your classes, or like reclass your characters. I think. And you missed out on how to how to like talk to people. <laughs> well, no, that's not. I mean, I did a lot of social link stuff, but I was just so focused on my own social link. I didn't really, I didn't know well, that you could trigger those conversations in the social link menu for one between the you know conversations in which you, the protagonist, are not present. Yeah, the support menu, like you know, having a conversation between like Hilda and Marianne, like they you know they have if they have a conversation, they get better skills and they support each other. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I didn't properly advance a lot of those relationships, and as a consequence, I didn't get you know none of them paired up at the end for me in my game, um, which which sucks because I, I've heard that there's funny things that can happen. Yeah, like uh, in, in my game, I had two different pairings. I think Ignatz and Raphael paired up, not like a marriage, but I mean they just paired up as like like as buddies. Well, like I think Ignatz married Raphael's sister. Mm. Um, so that was kind of interesting. But then, like I think Manuela and Dorothea hooked up as a, a couple. And That's so, awesome. Yeah, they 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 kind of had a budding friendship that developed in my game as well, and it seemed like it was going that way. And then it, I I just didn't obviously didn't complete that arc. Well, it's funny because so, that that was my first game, and the second game it was Dorothea and Hubert hooked up. Mm, <laughs> that's 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 different. That's peculiar. Yeah, he yeah. would you'd think that Hubert was a one woman man. Um, for for Edelgard. Well, I think I I picked Edelgard for myself, so you had no one else. Oh yeah, that <laughs> took her out of the equation. Gotcha. Yeah, man. No, I really love that game. As I, so, no, what I was getting at is that for me personally, um, I didn't feel like it was too easy in the end. Like I felt it was the right level of challenge, the right level of tactical complexity. Um, it was, you know, I, I, well, I didn't feel like I had to retry a lot, but I also felt um challenged and See, i thought that the ending was very satisfying i don't want to give away any specifics but it was very very satisfying to me well in my first game i didn't really over level like i just kind of played it normal but even at that point i thought like my main character uh shamir which i don't think he would have had and catherine which i also no, i have shamir well catherine also which i know you don't have they yeah. got like so overpowered or they started off overpowered, and they got like more so because they just kept using them. So like you know, I could send those three out, and they would decimate the entire battlefield like easily. Yeah, I mean, I have those characters as well. They're pretty good. Shamir's a pretty great archer. I had Bernadette at max um, archery as well, and and she cleaned up. But they were still pretty fragile, though. I mean, you have to position them. You have to still be careful. You can't just. Oh, I, uh, I, I, I don't think it's a cakewalk. I stuck Shamir in but... a Pegasus. So she became mm. very, very strong. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't use her as a mounted character. That's my one of my only complaints about the game. Really, is I think like the way they do the classes is a tad weird. Like to get a class to to ride a horse or like you know a wyvern or something is like very mm. time consuming and somewhat nebulous. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I try, said, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get my main. Like this is my third playthrough. And I still don't have an S rank of heavy armor on my main character. Wow! Because but you've you've carried it. It doesn't carry through, but you you pumped um, no I, renown into that. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like I get I get to it as high as I can. And I keep trying. That's I start off from as high as I go, 
and a storm that's ranked. <laughs> that's bizarre. Oh, same with uh, Raya support level is like insanely long and very time consuming. Like you have to like buy the whole store out to like try to get her to like support you at all. Hmm. It's like, oh man. That's that's peculiar because she's written to be such a sweet and supportive character from the start. You'd think that that wouldn't like, be a, again, such a long this arc. Is, this is my third playthrough. I'm like, I'm like support rank B with her, and that's it. Wow. Uh, every, man, you know, I like everyone Lady else, Rhea, though. Everyone else is I'm like at least A rank with, except for like my first playthrough was with the Golden Deer, mm-hmm. and the second was Black Eagles, and now my third one, the one I'm doing right now, is with the Blue Guys. So the yeah, blue the, guy, and the Dimitri. The, That's what I'm doing right now. The blue is, guys, is the I'm, not, I'm not as support heavy with right now because I mean, that's you, you build that up as you go along, which is fine. But like everyone else, I can pretty much get like an A rank with if I wanted to with 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 uh, renown, but not no. Raya. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's strange. Well, you know, the 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 best uh, take time. You know, when, you want you want the best. You've got to dedicate oh. yourself. Also, I go the goddess. I, I unlocked the uh, amiibo support in that game, which is really helpful. Mm. And we both got the season pass, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, we you, you you talked me into hey Walmart's got this sweet deal. Yeah, where you get the game, and I, and it was an amazing deal. It was like the game and the season pass digitally for twenty six bucks. Yeah, which Good. obviously a mistaken listing, but it's something that's like well, yeah, you take advantage of that, obviously. Um, and then, of course, it was season pass only, and they had listed the season pass as being the game plus season pass. And then it was a matter of getting through customer support um, to get a refund on Which, the season pass. But you, of course, we'd already redeemed it, so we've got the content. Yeah, I mean, they basically gave us the season pass for free, and at least I don't know if you did, but I got the twenty five dollar gift card. <laughs> oh, so you got like double money back? Yeah, that's crazy. I bought. Uh, I did, I, I did oh, not get that, and I would feel kind of guilty if I did. I think I I don't like to take advantage of people, I, even if they're Walmart. I I would have been happy though if they just said, if they'd said, "Here's the digital copy of Fire Emblem." I would have gladly taken that instead. <laughs> oh, totally. No, I was not going in with the intent of getting a free season pass. I was oh, excited n- about was having Fire Emblem digitally. Yeah, yeah. So was I. Because um, as much, so you know, I'm a physical media guy, but. Um, it is really nice with a game like that that it's going to be a game that I just kind of want to casually boot up. That that is exactly how I feel about Persona Four on a regular or basis. Persona 5, I just I want. Say. Yeah. Oh no, that's the same thing. I bought when Persona Five, even though I have it on disc, when it went on sale digitally, I bought it again. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I just want to be able to boot Persona I'll, Five whenever. I'll, I'll always want this game installed, it. so I might as well have yeah. it. <laughs> same thing with Catherine, right? Oh, like so, yeah. So uh, the thing I bought. I think I told you, but I think I bought with the Walmart card is like Justice League Unlimited on Blu-ray and then Dilbert. <laughs> hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that Dilbert TV show. You know, I mean, it's got Adam Sakuk, but um, at the height of his uh, powers, I thought that Dilbert was all right. Yeah. Well, except it's got this, a bunch of Seinfeld people on it, including Seinfeld. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Jason Alexander and, uh, no, and some meant, of the writers. I meant literally Jerry Seinfeld guested an episode. Yeah, yeah, no, I okay. remember. But the only problem is it's it's like a Mill Creek release, so like it's like the cheapest thing ever. Is it? I yeah. thought it was a pretty nice box. It's kind of like the when they, they put the critic. It's no, kind of no, like the critic box. They set. re-released it. Oh, you, there's a newer release. Okay, yeah. the original release of it was quite nice. It was yeah, like a, a Simpsons. I, I used to have that too, like the, like the big cardboard box. Yeah, 
This was yeah. like a plastic one uh, where they crammed all the episodes on three discs instead of four, and uh, they're out of order. That sucks. And it's like, you, oh, man, what is it with Milk Creek? Why can't Milk Creek put a decent box set together? Because they're cheap and they don't care. <laughs> this is like a thing with them. Yeah. I mean, they're like the bargain bin of DVD release studios or whatever. But, man. Skipping, skipping that, let's. Uh, break into your Death Stranding monologue for 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, it's not a monologue. I, I'd, I'd much rather ha- have you ask me questions or something. But, um, man, it's not a difficult game. People have found this to be a difficult game to explain it. I don't think it's a difficult game to explain at all. I mean, it's the postman. Yeah. There's and whatever Ford Lincoln Mercury in it, whatever the yeah. guy's name was, <laughs> and it's a it's a hiking it's a hiking game, a hiking cargo delivery game, uh, but with all of the kind of encumbrance and balancing mechanic that that entails, and you know, uh, the traversal is the point. So that's really the majority of it. There's some other stuff. There's a little bit of stealth. There's some there's some horror gameplay. There are um, invisible horrors that you cannot see, that you've got to sneak around and stuff, and you've got to sneak around some bandits or mules, as they're called. But largely, it's a hiking simulator. Yeah. I mean, it looks good. Uh, I want to play it. I mean, wait, I'm hoping it so, goes on sale at some point. <laughs> I would really... I have to wonder. This is like the thing about it is... I don't know if I'd recommend it to you. And this is nothing on you specifically. Like I'm thinking like this game is like not that it's in any way too good for you or something. I, I'm too dumb for it, just like Kojima said about Americans. Exactly. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was trying to not be a condescending ass about it. Uh but like I, I didn't think I would like it, you know? Uh I had a pre order of this game from back in twenty sixteen. So I had like an Amazon pre-order that still had the $10 off on it from back when they had $10 off on every pre-order. Yeah, back when they were cool. <laughs> and yeah, and then, um, you know, a week before the game came out, reviews started to hit. And even though I was on the total blackout of what this game even is up until that point, uh, people in my life started messaging me about like, hey, I think this I game seems... <laughs> <laughs> well, you and Eduardo and some other... Some other... I, I just kept like, people kept messaging me about like, you should not buy... This is not the game for you. You should not get this game. Uh, like, do you know what this even is? Like, this is an encumbrance simulator, right? Like, it's everything that... And it's true. It's everything that I've always professed to hate in a video game. You know, well, it's... I remember how I, much you like No Man's Sky. <laughs> inventory management, encumbrance... Um, like having to like balance your character when you walk, like all this, all this stuff that in other games is a hindrance. You know, I think what it is, is because those mechanics become central, like it it really is nothing. the, The simplest explanation is just because the traversal is the point, because those are the central mechanics, they don't feel like something that gets in the way to me at least, in the way that they do in other games. Like in other games, it's kind of like the travel is just the filler in between point A and, you know, oh God, I have to drive from point A to point B so I can start the next quest and get to the next bit of actual content. Yeah, but this is the content. (laughs) But here it's, or like, yeah, exactly. The encumbrance is always something that's in your way of enjoying the thing that you're trying to enjoy. Whereas here it's more, these mechanics are 
the content, so enjoy them. See, I mean, once the reviews came out, I basically summed it up as it looks like a mix between Nobi Nobi Boy, Paper Boy, and possibly Journey. <laughs> See, if you if you just said that, right? If you told me it's the love child of those three things, then I would know that I was going to love it. Because I see, love those games. Yeah, I would like it too. Like I like those games too. <laughs> yeah. So the the thing about it, the the secret ingredient is that the it actually feels mechanically really good. Like it feels like a simple thing. And this is something I've always liked in games. I've always liked doing difficult or or like traversing environments in the way that at least it feels like the designers didn't necessarily intend. You know, like in a Bethesda game when you can kind of climb a hill in the part where you weren't really supposed to climb that hill. Wow, I was like that too, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, a lot of RPGs have that. Um, a lot of open world games have that where the there's a fun to like traversing things in ways that uh, feel like they're not part of the inherent design necessarily. So, well, I'll tell you one quick story. And wow, this is pretty, pretty early on or relatively so. In the main human town in WoW, you could jump up on top of a uh, light, like a light torch or like a, you know a torch and if you jumped up one more time you could fall through the city world with the city map and it's like this this is new <laughs> this was a known thing where it's like stand in this spot and jump this many times yep. and this will happen yeah 100 percent of the time yeah interesting and it used to be like a bunch of this was back in the day before they introduced flying really but there were like a bunch of like areas in the game where like you weren't supposed to go but if you know how to jump correctly or if you had the right like equipment, you could easily just do it. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, but it has that it has that thing that feeling of like satisfaction, kind of like in Fallout when you're over encumbered and but you've got you're not willing to really drop anything. So you're schlepping that stuff back to town. Well, I should tell you the outer world solves that problem immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously in those kind of games, I'm still not going to want to do that every time. Just because Death Stranding, Death Stranding, there's just something to the physic. There's a physicality to it. Like you'll be sliding down. There'll be like a steep mountain and you're sliding down the steep mountain while also trying to avoid the ghosts that are all around, that you know all around you that you can't see. And you're balancing this huge load of stuff on your back uh, kind of against your movement down the mountain. And it feels there's actually there are times when like having all that crap on your back is is a huge impediment because it just makes you sway side to side and makes you lose your your balance a bunch just trying to go straight. But then when sometimes when you're sliding down a mountain, it just becomes this counterweight where if you turn it into just a right angle, it suddenly just becomes um, this incredibly easy easy thing where you don't even have to worry about doing anything. It just kind of takes care of itself. And there's just all these little moments where just the little things feel good. Plus, we hope you both know what a big uh, Norman Reedus fan you are. <laughs> I have no... So I, I, I'm not a fan of the Boondock Saints, and I didn't watch a lot of The Walking Dead. So The only thing I, I really know that guy from, honestly, is Blade 2. <laughs> Oh yeah, he wasn't that. I do like Blade Two. Blade Two is all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Boondock Saints never did anything for me, and um, yeah, Walking Dead never did anything for me. So I wasn't really a Norman Reedus fan going in. I was much more excited about Mads Mikkelsen. Not about Conan O'Brien. 
I, I didn't know Conan O'Brien was in it until I did come across him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just yesterday, I, actually, I, and he I, gave me a he gave me a hat. What's her name? I like Leah. Leah Sado. Yeah. Leah uh, Sado. Her her character is the typical typical enigmatic, you know, female Kojima character who speaks in riddles and crazy exposition and may have a dark past. Is she the but one? Really, that, it's a tragic past. Is she the one named Fragile, or is there? Is yeah, she's fragile. Okay. Right, yeah, because you know, game about delivering packages got to have a character named Fred. Everything. This is the wonderful thing about the writing, is just like like we're used to from Kojima. Everything is incredibly overwritten. I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say it was Arch. <laughs> well, no, it's not Arch at all. It's very earnest. Die Hard Man. Okay, so his naming is stupid. Well, that's what I meant. That's what I meant, that's what I meant about the Arch stuff. <laughs> Like, I prefer I prefer to think. I mean, I haven't played the game yet. I prefer to think that character is German, and it, he's just named mm-hmm. the Hard Man, not Die Hard, hard Man. Except grammatically, I don't want to get into this, but D is not the right. Um, that's not grammatically correct, so it wouldn't, wouldn't it actually be, work. Wouldn't it be Das? If 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 you want, if you just wanted to wanted to be a hard man, it would be Der Der Hartmann. Okay. Yeah. Well, I learned something. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, no, I took like one he, semester of German in college, and I was like, never again. <laughs> he's die hardman because he dies hard. He's hard to kill. You see, he's thought, like Steven Seagal that way. I thought he's a big Bruce Willis fan. <laughs> yeah, die hardman. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's like something that um, what's his name in Brooklyn Nine Nine would call himself. Oh, uh, uh, Andy Jake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hope to play the game soon. Like, I, I'm interested, especially, like, the whole, like, time element. Like, I'll, I kind of want to play it now, or as soon as I can, while all the cool shit's around still. <laughs> yeah, it, that's one thing about it, is now is the time to play it. I, I need to talk about the social element, because the social element is, um, it's like a supercharged version of what a Dark Souls game does. Like, Dark Souls, you know, you leave messages for people, and if they rate you, it may give you a health benefit. On your end of things, and then um, you know sometimes you can do you know you can be summoned. Or obviously you can't be summoned in this, but the stuff that you leave behind is just genuinely a boon to everyone. You know, if you build a bridge uh, across um, a dangerous ravine, suddenly you're the most you know in a in a spot that is mission adjacent that people are going to traverse regularly you know that's helping everybody i now go in there it's just such a pleasure to log into death stranding and there's like three or four new structures there that i'm making my life easier we're well, like the next the next run i was going to make has now been you know made more comfortable and less strenuous by the work of others well also in the game doesn't it like if someone makes, if someone goes on a path and everyone like kind of follows them, doesn't the path kind of deform so you can actually see like what people, other people are doing? Oh yeah, you can see footsteps and eventually you can see terrain deformation. Yeah, but it doesn't really affect your no, journey no. too much. It's more of a visual yeah, thing. Yeah. But the 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 buildings that people, when people construct safe houses and bridges and uh, time shelters, which are like little little umbrella type constructions that you can stand under and wait for the time fall. So Timefall, the world of Death Stranding, I haven't even talked about what the setting and the world and all that stuff is. So it's the post-apocalypse, essentially. Uh, the fabric between the realm of the living and the dead has been torn asunder. 
um, the dead manifest in our world as these kind of floating ghosts, which are connected to the afterlife and also sometimes to each other by these strands, which are, you know, they look like umbilical cords. Is this? Uh, this is kind of what I mean about how the writing in the game is uh, um, yeah. incredibly on the nose, where like every theme, you know, the theme of the umbilical cords, the strands, what is this? you know, is this? the hands that are grasping, all that stuff is just kind of hit. It's it's very it's very in your face, and it manifests itself in every form that it can manifest itself. Is this just design. a sequel to uh, Beyond Two Souls? You know. You could uh, you could make an argument if you wanted to you know do one of those headcanon conspiracy theories about how the one game is a prequel for the other. Sure. Yeah, you could you could maybe it, was, you could see Beyond Two Souls as the inciting that you know there is you remember how Beyond Two Souls ended that could have easily been the inciting incident for this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but but the point is so there there have been there's been this society has fallen apart. Um, humanity has basically gone underground to hide from the ghosts. Uh, nobody travels anymore except for you know this society slash company of porters who are who are delivering packages to you know um, help people sustain themselves and also rebuild this basically the internet basically get this network get everybody back on the network and get everybody into the deliveries so that they can have the supplies they need so that they can start rebuilding the whole point is to start rebuilding society and make america uh, whole again i suppose so uh um is it gonna- so that's what you're doing <laughs> and and the you know big big obstacle to that is this time fall so this is when it, when it rains now when the rain hits you it will age you and or deteriorate whatever it hits but it's gonna it's gonna be great when it when there's a twist where you find out that the network that you're turning on is like the cause of the uh ghost problem to begin with <laughs> just like that there's like those pulse movies <laughs> oh i'm sure that that uh There'll be a twist about how the corporate, you know, how Bridges, the corporation you're working for, is probably actually responsible for the original Death Stranding, which was the incident. Um, so, so yeah, but the the story's interesting, and then you know, Mads Mikkelsen. Oh gosh, there's so, so much stuff to talk about with this game. You know, you've got you've got Mads, you've got uh, a whole bunch of other. Let's see, Guillermo del Toro's in it. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is in it. The um the guy the director of uh, King Kong what's his name Jordan Volk suppo- Roberts or yeah who's supposed to make the Metal Gear movie that's never gonna yeah. happen <laughs> yeah he's he's in it like all all these uh it's it's got uh, it's, it's like, quite Kaj- a cast was like Kojima's like friends and you know <laughs> if you're a friend of him he's putting you in the game for some reason <laughs> right but uh, Mads um, is actually I think my favorite character he um. He's both a ghost, like a kind of one of the boss ghosts that pursues you in the world. But then you also see him in flashbacks, uh, which are flashbacks. You're sharing dreams with this. It's basically an unborn baby that you are carrying around in a little pod um, that serves as your equipment, your ghost detecting equipment. So the baby can, like, because it is an unborn baby connected to a still mother i mean don't don't ask or whatever uh it can it it has that connection to the other world and it can sense ghosts and by having it around you know it'll cry when it when when you know ghosts are near or a threat i think even mules even when mules are near um uh, you know it'll start to pipe up and warn you and um 
but uh, uh, so far it seems heavily implied that Mads Mikkelsen is this kid's father. And you see flashbacks of Mads Mikkelsen talking to the baby. So I'm sure there'll be the, the, the particular BB. Is, that, the, is, uh, is the baby named Will Graham? No, the baby's named BB. The letter B twice. But it, so it, they, it, everybody it, just calls it the BB. So I don't know. I need to get used. It feels weird to say. I need to get used to it. But was his name originally Will Graham? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. It, it, <laughs> it's bonding with. So it's uh, one thing is that BBs are not supposed to. So you've got. You already have this particular um, connection. So you already have this connection to the other world. Um, you've got dooms, um, is what it's called. So you can't actually die. When you die, there is a sequence. It's kind of reminiscent of. Um, do you remember Prey, the old Prey? Yeah, the good one. Yeah, the good one. <laughs> I actually didn't play very much of the one that um, the uh, uh, Dishonored people made, so I don't know. No, it but, was, uh, it, it, that was fine. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of kidding. I mean, the first like the, twenty minutes of, that, of Prey One are amazing, and then it becomes like a, like the actual game. I was like, eh, I'm I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, the 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 old Prey, uh, the the one that was more of a first person shooter. When you died, you got sent to um, yeah, Native American yeah, afterlife. Was there like a bow and arrow, and you had to like hunt down animals to like get, get your health back? <laughs> yeah, you had to do like a little a little dream sequence, um, shooting gallery, and then eventually you'd come back to life. So that's kind of what happens here when when you get when you die, uh, you'll go into like you're underwater and your disembodied um, spirit floating towards your body that's just sitting there and re-entering it through your mouth. Yeah. And then there's always this little sequence where it's like it it looks like you're coming out of the baby. I think it's weird. Like you're like the camera's like pulling back out of the baby's mouth or or head. And and sometimes it'll give you a little thumbs up or it'll show you its butt or something. I'm telling you, man, this is a weird game. Well, I want to try it. So, yeah. But uh, I, I'm really the story's interesting. You know, it's actually not like sure. They're like the concepts are weird. You have to kind of accept that, like, okay, this crazy apocalypse event has caused this and this and this and this weird thing to happen, and now these are just things that people deal with on a day to day basis. Uh, yep. But within the framework that it establishes, it all makes sense. Well, on that note, I'm playing the same basic game with B Simulator. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> as a fan of Mr. Mosquito, yeah, this game sounds like something that I would enjoy. Uh, yeah. Tell me about it. Well, the the biggest problem I have with it right now is I had I got the Switch version for review, which is assy. <laughs> like it looks terrible. I think. Uh, so if you're gonna get it. For especially you get it on a better console um which your ps4 version or i think it's on xbox one too if you want um i mean anything would be better than the switch um okay the controls oh, are great switch gotcha yeah the controls are great i mean it's very responsive and actually very quick even on the switch i'm surprised about but yeah you just go around uh i only played like an hour of it so far so i can't comment too much but like you go around you collect pollen you drop it off to your hive uh, you can dance, which is like Simon says, you know, or, you know, press up when the beat, when the other beat dances or, you know, uh, you can battle, which is like a timed button thing. Like, you know, press X to attack, press Y to defend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does it play like a QTE basically, or is it like a rhythm game? Type it's, a, thing? it's like a rhythm game. Okay. It reminds me of like the, uh, 
remember in oh uh, what is it man of madan madan whatever the hell the name mm-hmm. was like the breathing game when you like press x in time with the yeah like graph gotcha. it's basically that um uh. the scale is pretty good like i mean you do feel like a little small v uh it's a decent sized environment like i know it's not too big but i think it's like this like this park and the zoo maybe like you're not like flying around the whole city is it broken onto levels like Mr. Mosquito, or is it more like an open world? No, it's it's way more open world. Oh, uh, I mean, I do have quests, but I mean, I can just kind of do whatever I want, really. Like, or I got to the point where it's like, well, I have this quest to go talk to this, uh, go find this woman who has a bunch of flowers at the zoo, but mm-hmm. I can just not do that for a while. I could just do a bunch of these like challenge missions and stuff. Um, mm. the only like one of the problems you can't like sting people, like you can't Mr. Mosquito. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're a bee, so you wouldn't – if you sting someone, that's game over for you as well. Yeah, that should be an option. <laughs> like, I, I want to suicide. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it plays fine. Or, you know, it's it's also very much in, like an environmental game. Like, you know, like – What kind of – what are the typical objectives that you actually have to – what's the most common thing you have to do in this game? Collect pollen or collect – yeah, pol- you know, basically like fly through ring- – ever play like Superman 64 <laughs> – Oh, okay. So you fly through rings to collect pollen, bring them back to the hive. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. I mean, but it doesn't, thankfully, it doesn't play like Superman 64. <laughs> like, you know, it, actually, Is, it plays good. <laughs> what what kind of things? Are there things trying to kill you while you're doing this? No, not that I've seen. There are, bad, like I said, there are battles, but there's more scripted events. Like, I've been fighting a bunch of wasps who are, like, mm-hmm. the the park version of, gang, like, Russian gangsters. Oh, is there there's a, is there story? Is there voice acting? Yeah. It's terrible, but yeah, there is. All right, what's the story? Is 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 this uh, is this like? Uh... Well, the story is basically like uh, I mean, you're a newly bred bee or like newly born honey bee, and you go you go out, and then you come back and you find humans that are gonna tear to, or cut down your tree. Uh, so your mission is not like to try to find a new like haven for the hive, or you know, a new spot for the hive so they can all move out there. Mm-hmm. So it's like fern gully kind of. <laughs> So is this about reclaiming territory from these wasps, or, or not, reclaiming it's not, new territory? It's not that to direct. To? Like it's not like a, it's not like, uh, like oh, what was that system in GTA San Andreas? It's not like pro, or, uh, gang wars. Yeah, it's not like that necessarily. Like I'm not like coloring in like a mini map of my territory versus theirs. Um, but I think it's more like story. Like you find out, like oh, like humans are causing the destruction of all the bees. Once bees gone, everyone's everything's fucked. <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. So At any far. point, hmm? do you sue humanity for reparations? Uh, like I said, I'm only an hour an hour into it, so hopefully by the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good, good. I, I want a Ray Liotta cameo. <laughs> uh, the, the, oh, with the amount of voice acting in this game, they couldn't afford him. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it's inter- like I mean, it doesn't. I thought Mr. Mosquito like it had a very neat idea. It didn't play that well. Like I thought the actual controls like were bad in that game. I mean, I'm sure if or, I went it, back to it now, I would find some fault with it. But I thought it was um, it was inventive. It was finicky for sure. Especially you had to do like a little. It was like a like a golf mini game where you where there's like a slider that you have to hit at yeah. the right moment or you overshoot it kind yeah. of thing. And, and also like... latching onto people in a way that didn't get you detected was uh, was fairly finicky. But 
Um, I thought it was a pretty rewarding system and fun to play at the time. I'm sure if I went back to it now, I would find some fault with the with the flight controls. But yeah, like this one, like the, I think the flying is better. Uh, I mean, it's a lot more open game, open world game, obviously, because you know you're in a big park and not just one room of this house. <laughs> <clears throat> Unfortunately, I've yet to see any of the uh, weird, pervy land on the 16-year-old girl's chest and suck her blood. <laughs> yeah, see, that's... <laughs> Mr. Mosquito still got it. Still got the uh, the advantage in this regard. The only regard that really matters. I actually saw... I mean, this was a few weeks ago. I saw a used video game store on my, my area selling a copy of Mr. Mosquito for like 30 bucks. Actually, maybe it might have been like 40 that's not terrible. Well, I was blown away because I remember I bought that's that. That's worth. I bought that game. You, I used it at GameStop like I don't know seven years ago for like a dollar. <laughs> oh wow! Because they were like blowing out all their PS2 games, so there was it was like a big bin of shit, and it was like yeah. yeah, you know the markets. Sometimes people don't realize what something's worth. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, I I got it as a a friend of mine has just kind of dumped some of his old. Uh, games on me at some point, so I didn't actually buy it. But did, did I ever tell you this? Is, this would be a quick story about how I got my first copy of Suikoden Two. You did not. A friend of mine. This was in, back in college. It was my roommate at the time. He really wanted GTA. I think San Andreas because that was like two thousand three, two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, and GameStop had a promotion where it was like if you trade in four PS two games that aren't sports games, you know, they're actually real games, you can get GTA San Andreas for free. He was like, I'll, I mean, I'll do that. Yeah, and he, I, sure. also, I also, I also talked to him because I found out he had a copy of Speaking in Two. And I was like, I will give you games, like, take whatever games you want from me. And he did it. So he, I think mm-hmm. I gave him like four games. Like, cheap. you still got the better of that deal. Yeah, probably. Che- I got him, I gave him like cheap games, but he got the game, he got GTA for free, and I got his copy of Speaking in Two. And it's yeah. like, win win. <laughs> like, man. I mean, I oh, him, this. This reminds me for our latter segment. I think one of the um, honorable mentions is going to have to be Suikoden too, because they did a new re-recording of it, and it's amazing. Well, I mean, you didn't—you didn't never played that game originally, right? No, no. I just know it by reputation, and I know the soundtrack. Yeah, it's a game worth playing for sure. I mean, well, it's hard to play. It'd be a little hard to play now, but it's still very, very excellent. <laughs> I mean, I believe it's one of the all-time classic soundtracks, so it doesn't surprise me that the game's great. Yep. But what else? Uh, so yeah, we've both been. Oh, no, the, you've got out. Hmm? Yeah, gone. We've both been playing gears. Uh, well, no, you've been playing gears. Uh, you tried to get oh, me to true. play it, but I kind of begged off. <laughs> right? Just, no, I'm I, playing gears with David. It's worse my brain. Uh, I assume it's more gears. <laughs> well, it's more gears up until the point where suddenly you're in more of an open world. Yeah. Like there is like after the first act, which is very traditional gears and um, uh, kind of a pain in the ass uh, with the checkpointing uh, late in that act. Uh, once you're past that, you then go to an area where like now you're in like a snowy landscape and you've got a uh, a sled that that's um, wind powered, a wind powered sled where you're you're like kind of pointing a giant uh, sail in the direction that you want to go and you're just sliding around that big area doing little side quests and, and missions and things. It's kind of interesting. Oh. It still feels like years. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like super open, but it's like way more open 
it sounds than like serious has ever been. It sounds like that Uncharted game, the the chick one. Yes, Lost it, Legacy. Uh, Lost Lost Legacy. Yeah, that's a great um, point of comparison. Or like that Wolfenstein game, the one that uh, they made just before Machine Games took it over. Yeah, I think it was just called Wolfenstein. Yeah, that was a Raven game. Yes, Raven. Uh, oh, they yeah, just... that also had a hub world like that. So, so that's um, what it seems like to me so far. But it's a way better hub than that last Wolfenstein, Youngblood. Yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't quite care for for some of that. They just announced. I think the the, the fast traveling was bad in that game. Yeah, let's put it that way. They just announced uh, Street Fighter V Champion Edition. <laughs> so they're keep, I mean, keep beating away that Street Fighter V drum as much as they can. <laughs> Hey, maybe the Champion Edition will fix whatever people are mad at right now. Uh, I don't keep up with the Street Fighter. Yeah. I, I just like the characters. You're good. Uh, the last game I'll talk about very quickly is Outer Worlds. Uh, still good. Mm-hmm. I think I've kind of lost track of what the quest is in that game. <laughs> or just Really? I, it's not bad. I just kind of lost interest in it. Uh, but gameplay is still fun. And... My biggest problem with that game is just, just there's too much crap to pick up that's meaningless. Hmm. Like it's like oh you can pick up this you know ba- this box of cereal and it will increase your time dilation by ten seconds. I mean like in you mean like in traditionally that genre. Yeah, but it's not it's not needed. <laughs> sure, but you know you may want to eat that cereal. Well, you can't just eat it directly. Also, you have to like mix it up in, in like your health pack or health stim. Okay. Uh, I mean, you can't. I think there's like a lot of experimentation that can go into that system, but it's all the game is easy enough to begin with. So it's mm. like adding that on top of it is like this. This makes it from easy to a, a cakewalk. Like, <laughs> well, but, there's always hard, difficult. You always complain about how the game is not hard enough. Yeah. But I don't so like... you can always dial the difficulty up. Yeah, I'm playing it on hard. I'm I'm, I'm playing Death Stranding on hard too, because um, uh, I don't know. It seems like the way to play those. Well, you're, big, you're a lot more of a big trophy guy than I am too. So <laughs> yeah, those both have have trophies <coughs> for for that. So yeah. So do you want to talk about news or soundtracks? <laughs> Let's talk about news. Sure. Uh the biggest thing I saw kind of recently in the past few days was they had the Golden Joystick Awards. Award shows. That's always fun to make to, to disagree with. Yep. Uh, I have not actually seen these, so this will be fun. Neither did I. I. I barely even know what they are. I don't think it's like Spike TV. Uh, the only thing that I've seen, you spoiled that Days Gone um, won Best Storytelling because you tweeted about it angrily. Yes, which is valid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it's the people, like people gaming awards. It's some UK mm-hmm. competition. So here, like, I'll list some. Is, is it is it voted on by is it voted on by the people? Is it an online poll? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Which is extra insane that some of these games won. I would say. I mean, if it's an online poll, then Days Gone winning best storytelling makes sense because it was a big seller and a lot of people played it and it had a story. I mean, yeah, but it wasn't like the well, it wasn't even like the top seller of the year, and it wasn't the best game, you know, best story of the year either. Well, yeah, but again, you know, people yeah, get yeah. It, it is like invested. Um, it is uh, people 
voting. So I don't think I don't think it's like a critic critic award necessarily. Yeah, um, I I could not fathom a serious critic giving best storytelling to Days Gone. Yeah. So here's some like I'll, I'll kind of tell me when to stop. Okay. Best yeah, yeah, story. Just let, I'll react to them in, in live. Best storytelling was Days Gone. Uh huh. Best multiplayer game was Apex Legends. Th- that checks out from yeah. what I've heard about Apex Legends. That's fine. Yeah, I I don't care. So that's whatever. <laughs> uh huh. The still playing award is Minecraft. Okay. Which I mean, I guess I mean it's still going on, but I don't think people are. Maybe it's just not the circles we run into, but I don't think people are like too excited for that game still maybe we just underestimate the huge uh chokehold that minecraft still has on the culture yeah uh best visual design is devil may cry 5 yes no <laughs> like i'm not saying it's bad but i guess i there are i would say there are that more game games great that fit okay better. so obviously if i were picking best visual design right now um not that this would ever win this poll and probably does not Wait, is this for is this for last year? What what time span is this? This is this year. Like I I, I okay. don't know the cutoff. I think the cutoff was like uh, two days okay. ago or. Okay, so Death Stranding would have gotten in. Yeah, I actually think Death Stranding has the best visual design this year. Yeah, I mean I, I can't judge it necessarily. I might I might also say uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, it's also beautiful. Uh that's just me. Um, what mm. else was there? Uh, but but best... Devil May Cry Five does look really cool. Great costume design, great moves, lots of great lighting effects. Uh, best indie games is Outer Wilds, which I have no opinion about. <laughs> I also I own it. I haven't played it. It got a ton of buzz. I need to play it. The uh, esports game of the year was Fortnite. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, best audio was Resident Evil 2. Interesting. Which, You've played that, but had, I mean that generally looked like a great production. So. Oh yeah, I mean the music was fine. I, I think it was a little un, unmemorable, even compared to like the original soundtrack. But mm. I think it's just like the audio, like the zombie noises, and like the amount, like the, you know, stuff like that. Sound effects were really good. I could see that. Uh, best game expansion was GTA Online Diamond Casino and Resort. Wow. Okay. I this is I've fallen off the GTA Online, so I I've never got into it. Any of this, so uh, yeah, I uh, you know what I all I want, and maybe this is what it is, but I just want heists where I don't have to um, have a, a full group of four people to do them. Yeah, I want to be able to do two person heists more. Right. Uh, best VR slash AR game was Beat Saber. Okay. Which is I've heard of I, that at least. I, that's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, hmm. Best gaming hardware was NVIDIA 2000 graphics cards. It's like, yeah, yeah. sure, whatever. Hey, NVIDIA, <laughs> sure. Uh, best performance was uh, Logan Marshall Green for that Telling Lies game. I have no idea what that you're talking about. So Telling Lies was the, the Her Story sequel. I think you, I think I, you bought it because I think I told you to buy it. It's a game where like it's him and three women, three other actors, like three actresses, going through a story. Uh, it's like her story. I mean, it's basically like her story, but it's like he's like an FBI agent, and it has Carrie Bish, Bichet, whatever her last name is, Angela. Yeah, I've I vaguely remember you mentioning it, but I don't know. I don't think it's on. If it was on sale, maybe I picked it up and I, just forgot. It's I need not to on check. console. I think it's on PC and it's on mobile. Oh. 
In that case, I did not buy it because I don't buy PC games anymore. Well, I think it's on PC and like iOS or, you know. Nah. Um, yeah, I'm not. And I don't, Put it on consoles. I'm not sure it's coming they to consoles. put her store on consoles, so, you know. Yeah. I think it might come in eventually, but I'm not quite sure when or if it ever will. Um, yep. What else? I, I would say there are better performances, but I also think that guy's kind of a scumbag. So that's just me personally. <laughs> Logan Marshall Green, you mean the person? Yeah. Is he, is he problematic in some form that I'm not aware of? Uh, well, I'm friends with his wife uh, that he cheated on with, or that he cheated on with like a ballet instructor for their daughter. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't have any bearing on his perform as a performance as an actor, but I don't like the guy personally. So, <laughs> mm. uh, best yeah. studio was Epic Games. I mean, they did a bang up job with that store. I, I hope you're being sarcastic. <laughs> well, Fortnite, I guess, is what did this, right? I mean, presumably, but I mean, the store is the reason I would disqualify them, honestly, because it's just, it's ruined PC gaming. <laughs> you know, I'd probably pick Platinum for best studio, but, you know, that's just me. I mean, I'd probably pick, uh, I'd actually probably pick, uh, Remedy. Hmm. <laughs> well, Remedy did a great game. Or yeah, at least. You know what? A lot of really strong. You know what? Platinum only had one really strong game with uh, Astral Chain. Astral Chain. So I guess Remedies and Control, they're about on equal standing. Has there any. Can you think of a company that had more than one really great game this year? Uh, Nintendo. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo could totally be best studio. That would make more sense, honestly. Yeah. Or intelligent systems or whatever they're called. <laughs> mm. uh, well. Epic Games, fine. You know what, Gears 5... I, I like Gears 5. Gears 5 is fine, so Epic Games got that also. I'll skip a few of these. Wait, no. Gears 5 is not Epic Games anymore. Yeah, it's Microsoft. Mm. I'll skip a few of these because I don't think you care about best streamer or broadcaster. But uh, break, I would not know, no. Breakthrough Award was Untitled Goose Game. Yes. Which makes sense. Like, I haven't played it, but I mean, they got a lot of people talking, so... That game had a huge cultural impact. I mean, the goose became an uh, I mean, a, you know a remainer icon. Yeah, that they that they now like honk at people and have goose uh, themed stuff at the protests and things. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think of the villagers. I don't think of the villagers in that game as as deserving what the goose lays on them. Right. I actually think that that <laughs> I feel sympathetic towards uh, the poor village that is terrorized. Uh, outstanding, what, they, what they're calling Outstanding Contribution Award, they gave to Life is Strange. I don't know what that means. Outstanding contribution to the, uh, to the culture, is, to video games. What? I mean, I like Life is Strange. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. It wasn't that memorable. Like it's not like hasn't reverberated through gaming since it came out. <laughs> Like, hell, mm. even that sequel, Life is Strange 2, is barely is making a dent anymore. Or, I don't know if no one talking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, the more annoying ones are... So, PC Game of the Year is World of Warcraft Classic. Wow. Okay, so is PC gaming dead, then? 
We're, we're giving we're giving the game of the year to uh, an ancient MMO, a fifteen year old MMO that they had like browbeat Blizzard into making. <laughs> so here here's my problem with that. This is the first problem. Where is Disco Elysium? <laughs> <laughs> Like I guess because yeah, like this, I, I hear Disco Elysium is pretty remarkable in in the branching story stuff it does. I mean, here's the thing: it's also this is a obviously a uh, public or a popularity contest, so that's why WoW won it. But if you had like one critic voting, it'd be Disco Elysium by a mile. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. On that on that front, also the Xbox Game of the Year was Gears Five. I mean, there's not that much competition, so that makes sense. Come on, man! What about Crackdown Three? <laughs> Gears Five, so Gears Five is just a really good Gears game so far, so I totally could see the uh, PlayStation Game of the Year was Days Gone. I mean, if Days Gone is going to win Best Writing, and only again, just I think you underestimate how many people played and surprisingly liked Days Gone. My my, I guess my counter to that would be. I mean, even I haven't played it, but I can I can tell you for certain because I know you you have at least Sekiro is a better game than Days Gone. <laughs> well, sh- sure, but Sekiro is also like an acquired taste. Yeah. Days Gone is a freaking open world zombie game. It's as mainstream as you can as you can with, get with biker McBiker face as the main. Yeah, character. totally. This is this is a mainstream appeal game. They should have they should have had Charlie Hunnam voice him from that Sons of Anarchy show. That, that game is the classic example of you know how how people people like Adam Carolla like to point out now uh, the split in audience score versus critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, for instance, on things or or similar sites. Yeah, and uh, that game is like the that's the video game equivalent Don't, of that as far as like the the critics versus uh, you know your regular people. When you come out, we rating. are going to watch that. Uh... That his documentary is no safe spaces. Yeah, <laughs> and you'll, you'll <sighs> run from my house and tear and tear. <laughs> I can't. Uh, the Nintendo game of the year is Smash Brothers, which you and I disagree with. Again, it's a very well made game, but Fire Emblem, <laughs> yeah, or even Luigi's well, Mansion. Fire I mean, Emblem is Nint- isn't it? Fire Emblem even Nintendo published. No, I think they're talking more about the Switch game. The Switch game. Oh, the system. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, yes. Fire Emblem Three Houses, obviously. And I think they publish Fire Emblem at least. I don't. They don't make it right. directly, but they they own it. <laughs> yeah, Fire Emblem Three Houses is what I would pick. You're right. Uh, but you know, Smash Brothers. People love that one, and um, it's continually popular. So, uh, most wanted game is Cyberpunk. Agreed. Yep. Uh, Critics' Choice Award was Control. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy that it's getting some action. It surprises. Oh, oh, because it's Critics' Choice. Yeah, and it, and they can't just say. I think it, I think if they had like a multi-platform game, it, Control would win that maybe. Mm-hmm. But they don't. Like they just have like specific consoles, so that's maybe why it's there. Uh, yeah. The last two, well, I mean, the last one is that kind of. The last two are Lifetime Achievement Award is Yu Suzuki. Ah, people have got that Shenmue on the brain. Which, you know, as much, as bad as Mighty Number no. 9 is, was, that's that's going to be a drop in the bucket compared to Shenmue 3. <laughs> uh, isn't that Shenmue 3 is just about to ship, right? Yeah, I think it's out like next like week. it's very close. Wow. Or maybe like two weeks. Like it's Yeah, it's super soon. Glory be. Uh, oh, yeah, it's two days from now, so it's Tuesday. Wow. God, it's too many damn games. 
I still have barely played Atelier Ryza. Now Shenmue 3 is coming out. Don't worry, you can skip that one. <laughs> uh, and their big, their ultimate game of the year was Re- Resident Evil 2. Ultimate. Resident Evil 2? Yep. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I know you really like that one. Yeah, like as far as my game of the year, it's it's probably pretty much a tie between Resident Evil 2, Fire Emblem, and maybe Control. That's... I haven't played Death Stranding or Jedi, though, so I can't yeah. comment on those necessarily. As I said, my, my list is going to be terrible because I haven't played half the things I want to play. And then even between the games I've played and finished, like, how do you choose? How do I choose between Death Stranding? Which, I mean, not, obviously Death Stranding could. I'm only halfway through that game, so it could completely turn to shit and might not make any kind of lists. But, you know, how do you choose between something like that and something like Fire Emblem? Or something like Greece. Um, what, I don't even know. What about Borderlands Three? That'll be up there. <laughs> very funny, uh, but yeah, these are just not this very apples and oranges kind of comparisons. So, at some point, or even Astral Astral Chain. I you know I really really love Astral Chain. You might um, be pretty but, alone on that one because I've heard almost no buzz about that game since it came out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a platinum games acquire taste. It's it's uh, I it's almost like a who's who platinum games bringing back all of their best mechanics from other platinum games. Like you've got the the equivalent of the witch time from Bayonetta. You've got um, kind of the uh, controlling minions thing from Wonderful One Hundred One. Uh, there's like all this. There's kind of near automata kind of specking. It's it's pretty amazing how much it. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 just kind of everything I want. Yeah, from uh from that kind of game, it's like a character action game with lots and lots of systems that interact in really interesting ways with a cool cool story and a great aesthetic. Yep. Speaking of speaking of really great games, let's talk about Anthem for a second. <laughs> yeah. So Kotaku posted that I would say opinion piece because there was Anthem no Realm Reborn. There were no facts in there included about. Bioware has not abandoned Anthem, and they are trying to fix it with like a big, huge update that will make the game viable. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate Jason Schreier's journalism generally, but this one was a thin article. Well, he, he quoted nothing. I mean, he can't just come out and say, oh, Bioware head, I forget the guy's name. He's on the, he, you know, he quoted me directly, we are fixing Anthem. Because he can't. Like, I don't think there's any concrete information. I mean, he says that, like, in the second paragraph, he's, like, there's no timeline whatsoever for this. I Yeah. Not, not only is there no timeline, but they haven't decided whether it's going to be DLC or a free LC or an entirely new game that's paid. It'll be, if, if they do that, if they ever make this, it'll be the third option. <laughs> well... Then they're just going to be in trying to charge full price for an, for another anthem is a tall order. I See, think, considering how much they burned people. I, I, okay, I know you had problems when No Man's Sky first hit; like you didn't like it at all. I liked it enough; like I didn't think it was great necessarily, but I had enough enjoyment out of it. That game had a, at least a somewhat of a decent foundation to build on. Same with like Destiny One. Or uh, Wildlands. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Anthem doesn't have even a foundation to build on. <laughs> when the foundation is the online um, multiplayer stuff from Andromeda. Yeah, that I think at like last report, like sixty people are playing. <laughs> I mean, when you say foundation, unless you, oh, did you mean foundation in terms of the user base? I mean foundation in terms of just gameplay, like core gameplay systems. Oh, okay, that kind of foundation. Like the user yeah. base, the user base. Like, uh, imagine if you're not trying to play Anthem right now, because I mean, it has like search for like search for match, or like you know, try to get random people into like you know a raid or a dungeon. We probably couldn't get two more people to play a specific dungeon if we tried. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's still. At some point, the last time Anthem was reported on, people were supposedly mad that there was a promised expansion or a promised oh, um, they're, they're content fixed. That yeah, that the roadmap is broken. Yeah. So I don't know if people just fell off completely after it or if people are still playing it or still hoping for the best. But obviously, we stopped playing Anthem the moment that we finished the story and haven't looked back. Right. Uh, I, uh, think, but I think Anthem... Okay. Let's assume there's this no is... late game. There's no there's no late game content whatsoever. Well, the late game was like, oh, you can unlock different materials for your mech suit, and it's like, no, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> or like the last scene of that game is them introducing that other alien or that like that alien species that goes like nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, let's assume that like they're gonna try to fix Anthem. Please don't just let it die. <laughs> I I just don't think this is this is just not happening. This is there's no there's this this is this is the this is Rudy Giuliani's podcast. You know, if, if the only franchise that EA seems to this is this is you know what this is this is don't vote for Michael this is the don't the, the don't vote for Michael Bloomberg article. Just, it's like it doesn't freaking matter. Well, the only franchise like, you know, that have, EA seems to keep throwing money at for no good reason is Need for Speed. Uh-huh. Like, because it has at least it used to have some name recognition. It, I mean, it doesn't have that anymore. But at one point, Need for Speed was popular, and right. m- could make money. Anthem doesn't even have that. <laughs> like, EA is not going to throw away good money after bad. This is the definite. This is it's not even vaporware because vaporware has to actually be announced. Yeah. So this is just this is just nothing. This is he overheard again. It's the. You know, somebody overheard Rudy Giuliani talking to somebody in a restaurant about how he's going to record a podcast. Yeah, that's about as that's about as likely as us recording a podcast with Sean at this point. Yeah. Um. So that's never going to happen. Uh. What else? Oh, they. I mean, I saw, I'm sure you saw the trailer for the new Sonic trailer. I have not seen it. Uh, I've but I've seen some gifs. I've seen some screenshots, and I've seen people generally be happy with the redesign. Obviously, I don't care anymore. I mean, it looks – it does look better. It doesn't look perfect, It, but it look, looks better enough, no. I'd say. Give me back my trash Sonic. <laughs> I want my trash Sonic. Well, now when the DVD comes – or when the movie comes out, and you know, the Blu-ray eventually, they need to redo the trailer, like one-to-one shot of the original mm. trailer and the new stuff. No. No, it's not that – I mean, I'm probably going to see it. Uh, yeah, it looks. I just, I haven't, just haven't watched the trailer. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Nick, but it, he looks good. I mean, he looks like Sonic. Yeah, they, they uh, seem to have fixed it. And there's like a lot more Ben Schwartz, like actually, like dialogue in the movie with Sonic, which is nice and helpful. <laughs> now I just have to replace um, 
Jim Carrey with Nicolas Cage, and uh, we're good. No, then we'll be golden. Well, they they did replace the Gangsters Paradise song with Blitzkrieg Bop. Oh, cool. Like That's a little bit more uh, more friendly to uh, us boomers. Just, uh, yeah, but yeah, you're alluding to the Nick Cage playing Nick Cage and what is the movie? An unbearable talent, or what's the movie he's in? Or gonna be scarring in? Oh, I don't remember what the name of it is called. The 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 incredible burden of immense talent of or being a great actor. Uh, the the unbearable weight of massive talent. There you go. Unbearable weight, massive talent. Beautiful title. Uh, you can already. Everybody's already made the being John Malkovich comparisons. Um, I mean, this sounds this sounds more like Birdman or something to me. I mean, yeah, that also uh, kind of checks out. Uh, but uh, I love this idea. I love the idea of making a movie about what it's like to be Nicolas Cage, starring Nicolas Cage. Um, could also be. Do you think this is going to be like a JCVD? Where you think this kind com- of ironic just, commentary on his work, just monologuing to the camera for ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hey, Nicholas Cage monologuing at the camera for ten minutes sounds like heaven to me. Speaking of the Cage front, he's uh, there's a trailer for Color Out of the Space, which looks pretty good. Yeah, uh, I'm super excited about that. See, I I I love Richard Stanley. Richard Stanley is um, is a great and underrated uh, cult director, and uh, he hasn't made a movie since um, the '90s when they took uh, his uh, "I Don't Have to Talk to Moreau" away. There's a wonderful documentary called "Lost Soul" about Richard Stanley and what happened on that movie, and it's heartbreaking and hilarious. And you come out of it, even though he's a complete kook, you come out of it just loving him. So um, I'm so happy that Richard Stanley is making a an H.P. Lovecraft thing, be his first movie in like over 20 years and see a movie with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and the trailer looks pretty good, I thought. Oh, yeah. And the color is pink, which is actually the accurate, you know, they've... Uh, there, there are a lot of things in that trailer where if you um, if you know Lovecraft, you can, you can tell they're doing some stuff. And uh, the last bit of our Nicolas Cage podcast is... Uh, he's going to be starring in a movie called Wally's Wonderland, mm. which is the unofficial Fred- Five Nights at Freddy's movie, <laughs> where he is playing the janitor of a pizza place after dark right, with all the robots. Haunted yeah. figure, haunted robots. Yep. Uh, yeah. That. I mean, I- I'll watch it. That might be okay. Like <laughs> he, he's done some interesting work in that realm. Like Mom and Dad is pretty good, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Mom and Dad is good. Mandy was really good. Liked that a lot. Um, but, you know, I've been a Nicolas Cage fan for pretty much as long as I can remember. So ever since Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> I mean, Vampire's Kiss is very amusing. Or uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. There you go. Is he in Fast Times? Yeah. He's like Brad's friend. Oh, Wow. I, I think it's for, he wasn't Nicolas Cage, he was Nicolas Coppola, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's also in... like the, the the earliest movie I can think of with him in is Valley Girl. Okay. He's already Nicolas, he's already Nicolas Cage in that. Yeah. All right, I need to check... Uh, uh, I haven't seen Fast Times in a long time. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, like, he, he's barely... I mean, he, you know, he's just like a... He, I don't even think he speaks necessarily. I think, I think he's in the football game at least, though. So. Hmm. But... Uh, 
what else? Path of Exile, the second. Yeah, they announced that. I think they also announced Path of Exile Mobile, um, mm-hmm. which is I, I don't play those games. I didn't play the first one. I know it's insane. <laughs> I mean, I also don't play them. I don't know why it's on our list. Then I thought well, you're not a Path I, I of think, Exile fan. I think it's or? coming to console, which should be good. Uh, I know it's better than I, I know it's generally con- considered better than Diablo, or they had they supported it better and it's a lot more involved. Like that skill. My only exposure to it. I I played the demo of Paths of Exile the first on Xbox when it first came out on the one. Didn't you not like it? And uh, or I didn't like these. I, I played a spellcasting character, and I didn't like the aiming. Okay. Uh, I I didn't think it was there was enough granularity or enough control over it. It felt very stiff. Um, I generally, it felt like a port of an older dia. You know, it didn't feel like a properly polished. Diablo like the way that I would expect. So you know, in the in a post Diablo three world, I expect a certain level of um, control fidelity, and it just wasn't there. And I wrote to, it off pretty quickly. To be fair, we we've played our our fair share our fair share of Diablo clones, like Torchlight. Oh, we played a lot of garbage ones yeah, that, that are worse I mean, than Paths of Exile. I mean, yes, okay. Van Helsing's probably worse. Um. That uh, Titan Quest is probably, but you know, not that Titan Quest is a bad game. It's just an old game. Yeah, Titan Quest is twenty you know, years old. Port of an old PC game, and uh, there's a lot of kind of quality of life things and, that are not in that anymore. And I know how much you loved Warhammer Chaos Bane. <laughs> well, Warhammer Chaos Bane is just boring. Just bad loot system. Not a lot of different tile sets. Not a lot of con- different monsters. Like just kind of a boring slog and very short. Should thankful a short slog. It's like that's. That's like saying, you know, the food was, you know, the such small portions, yep. terrible food, small portions. Uh, speaking of small portions, uh, Simpsons is on Disney Plus and the resolution is screwed up. <laughs> or the aspect yeah. ratio, I should say. Well, I think what it is, is Disney Plus as a service and as an interface, they're just not sophisticated enough yet to do like viewing options. Yeah. So they went with what they thought was the more consistent way of rendering it. Uh, there's already they've already made an announcement that in early uh, 2020, as the um, Disney Plus service, as the enhancements come in, yeah, that there will be viewing options as it matures. <laughs> yes, I, I hope they uh, also do the same thing with Star Wars, so that you can have like four different types of on shot first scenes. <laughs> it's funny because this exact thing has happened three times now. Yeah, like three times now, uh, Simpsons has come to a different. You know, there was like a. A big thing where it was first coming to HGTV and it was cropped and everybody complained. And then when it came to the Fox, whatever the Fox streaming service was, FXX or whatever it's called. Yeah. Whenever it first came to that thing, um, it had the same. It was all white, cropped to widescreen and everybody complained. So it's just a tradition now that Simpsons has to be fucked up for the first couple of months of its existence anywhere. And then eventually they'll fix it. <laughs> Hopefully. Know, it still sucks because I, I was actually hoping to. I've only watched. Um, I've only really memorized The Simpsons up to until season nine, which is also as far as I've collected it on disc. And then I stopped. So I was hoping to actually just kind of pick it up and been just just watch the whole show, good or bad, you know. I mean, I, I stopped at season ten. I would kind of agree, uh, but yeah, it'll. I mean, it'll happen eventually, but. So yeah, as soon as it's um, rendering properly, 
as soon as I can watch it as it was intended and and made, then um, I will I will probably take advantage of that and watch a whole bunch of Simpsons on Disney Plus. Yep. Uh, the last Disney Plus is pretty good pretty good service though. Even like these kind of niggles aside. Oh, the last thing is also Disney Plus related. Uh, we can talk about the Mandalorian for a few for a few minutes. Yeah, but I don't really want to. The internet. One complaint I have. I mean, obviously, it doesn't affect me because I, I've I've been watching it as it's come out. But as somebody who generally is anti-spoiler uh, and was very mad at the way that everybody just spoiled uh, Game of Thrones season eight as it was going on, with little regard for people who were watching it a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, the how much people are spoiling the ending reveal of episode one of the Mandalorian is crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I watched. I didn't. I don't think I spoiled it necessarily. Uh, I think it was kind of obvious. Uh, was it? I thought so. Especially with how that robot was kicking ass. Uh Although I thought <laughs> oh, you mean that 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 IG unit was too badass to live. Pretty much. Also, not- I absolutely that's my favorite thing in that pilot episode of Mandalorian is I love the way that that IG unit moves. Oh, how he just kind of spun around. Like he he is so it's such a perfect where it's like he's agile, but he's agile in a very limited robotic way that feels realistic. Like it's amazing to see a a robot do humanoid things like that in such a non-humanoid way if that makes any sense yeah and has, every position whenever he would be in any kind of position there would always be some interesting geometry yeah he's always like, like the, kinda, the poses he would go into yeah he's always like bending his arms in like a really awkward way that like no human could realistically do or it would be comfortable with but he could do it and then he was doing like kill shots with like every shot so but it's just <laughs> Seeing him just kind of like stand on the spot and like spin around and making like that whirring noise. Also, the, the sound design's really good. Oh yeah, I really that scene is so freaking great. And uh, having it voiced by Taika Waititi. <laughs> is that really the Taika voice? Yeah, yeah, to IG? That, that was his character. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Also, yeah, you were off because the, the one little guy in the show, uh, Kui. I think that's his name. Yeah. He's, he's, Nolte, he's right? just voiced by Nick Nolte. He's not performed by Nick Nolte. <laughs> well, I didn't say he was performed by Nick Nolte. <laughs> that's that's why I think it's still Warwick Davis in the role. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know who I don't know who the, it's some some you know, some little person standing. Yeah. But but uh it's <laughs> obviously his facial design, he's an alien. But and he's voiced by Nick Nolte. But it's funny; his face looks like a Nick Nolte caricature in a way. Yeah, like they gave they they gave him kind of Nick Noltean features, right? Which is wonderful. Uh, everything about the look of this show, like the, I mean, they've got Disney money, right? So you can you can feel the money, you can you can taste the money almost well, as it's as it's going on. It's so fancy. It, it it's gives true me true prestige TV. It gives me a lot of hope for like their eventual Marvel shows. Um, oh, I'm sure that'll be quality as well as far as the production. It makes me even angrier, or it makes like the Apple shows pale even further in comparison. <laughs> I don't know. Apple spends a lot of money on morning show. I mean, that's that's just because of the actresses, not the it's not the content, or you know, it's not like they're going like creating like a whole new literal universe, or you know, so, they're not having like a bunch like a bunch of hump, you know, big alien horses. You know, Cart Reese Witherspoon around. 
Right. Unless you count Jennifer Aniston. I mean, you could, but... <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think the show's good. Uh, I don't think... Do you think they'll ever show his face? Don't care. I think that's the... That, I hate that discourse. I already... I'm seeing, you know, I, I see the Twitter discourse about people like, when's he going to take a stupid helmet off him? You know, this doesn't work. Or, you know, all this stuff about why should I give a shit? It's like watching an action figure, watching a, a show about an action figure or something. Well, hey, man. And, uh, look, look at what a deep and interesting character Captain Phasma was in the Star Wars films. That's not a point of... Okay. I don't need... Like, you can totally... You can sell me on a character with just the voice. We've watched in we've we've there's enough stuff that we've seen that we're fans of, where basically the voice and the the physique, the body language the sells yeah. the performance. Where why do people feel that they need that? I, I I just don't get it. You know, you don't need to see Goblin Slayer's face. You understand what Goblin Slayer is all about. I mean, the name kind of it's not the, the name kind of says it right there. <laughs> no, exactly. But, and, but also, uh, that's an, and, isn't it an animated show? Yeah, but what does it matter? What does it matter it, if if it's it, it's just a guy in an armor in a in a suit of armor? You know, he never ta- you know he's just a he's the first character that came to my head that does not take his his mask off. I'm trying to think of who else there is um, who's just masked all the time. Judge Dredd, uh, Master Chief. Well, Judge Dredd is not fully masked though. He's got the at least you can see his scowl kind of. But Master Chief. Master Chief, right? Yeah. Of course, that's a first-person game, so it doesn't matter as much. But they do make a point of of like teasing his. I mean, come on, Master Chief's just gonna be a boring, generic dude. His name is John, for Christ's sake. He's he's made to be a generic soldier guy. But isn't it like John? I don't know why it's such John a mystery. John one one seven or something like that. Yeah, who the fuck cares what his face looks like? It's just gonna be like when they finally show like you know Timur Morrison as Boba Fett's dad, and you're like, okay. <laughs> Well, they can have the since isn't it like canon that Darth or not Darth Vader uh, that uh, what's his name? It's canon the Mandalorians don't show their face. No, no, I was gonna say isn't it canon that Boba Fett survives? Survived the Sarlacc. Pit? Well, I mean, he exists in the expanded universe because there are further comics where once again he is foiled by his jetpack malfunctioning. Well, I I I look forward to the eventual episode where. Uh, Boba Fett meets the Mandalorian and they fight for like an hour. <laughs> and then and then uh, Boba Fett's jetpack malfunctions and he spins off. Yeah, it just goes... Um, so, it's, it's, so it ends it, in a it, draw. It'll be like Team Rocket, like, we're blasting off again. <laughs> yeah. No, that's just literally... It, it's his biggest Achilles heel in all of the Expanded Universe fiction. But I, I don't know if... I don't know if all that stuff... You know, all that stuff's non-canon now. Yeah. So uh, I like to think that uh, Boba Fett is is still being digested by the Sarlacc as we speak. The only thing that should still be canon is Luke. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> the 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 clone stuff was the silliest aspect of the Zon books, but I still love the Zon books. <laughs> uh, yep. But but yeah, Mandalorian. You know the the story. It's very simple. Oh yeah. Like it's it, I mean it's so it, far. It's just been kind of like scenarios. Like if he's got to retrieve his ship from some scavengers and he's got to, you know, track down a bounty kind of things. Very light on on um, content or like any kind of – I mean it's just very – it's it's heavy on action well, and light on story so far. It's very much like – it reminds me a lot like of Logan actually, like a Western. Yeah. It's very event-driven. Although – 
you said the second episode, right? Yeah. Okay. I l- that's why. That's why I said that I did mention getting his ship back. Okay. From yeah. Yeah. I love my favorite part of the second episode when he's sitting in the uh, sand crawler, and like he's like his head is like touching the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's sitting down, and he's so taller than all the Jawas, like, around him, like, you know. And he just looks, yeah. he just looks pissed. Like, he looks miserable. <laughs> His interactions with the Jawas kind of, at, at some point, I just expected the Jawa to come up to him and, and, and ask him, you like digs? You like digs? <laughs> or try to uh, steal his... Uh... Shoulder piece, his pauldron. Yeah. <laughs> well, the last part of our podcast today, or tonight, I should say, is us talking about game soundtracks of the year. And we're going to alternate, starting at the bottom. We're going to count from our fifth favorite to our number one, um, starting with... No, no, uh, no, no. Honorable mention first. Oh, yeah. We should talk about some honorable mentions. I want to give this one to Chrono Orchestra, which is a Square Enix album. Um, that came out two months ago, I think. Basically done by the same team that did the Neo Orchestra album. Though this time they were adapting uh, Mitsuda's uh, classic Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross scores. Miriam Ibanasa, the orchestrator who also worked on a bunch of other Mitsuda scores. You know, she worked on Valkyria, Azor Revolution with him. She, she did the arrangements and the arrangements are just incredible. Yeah, I love this. It's, this is actually my favorite album of the year, period.
But of course, it's an orchestral arrangement album of um, an old video game score. So it doesn't really qualify for video game score of the year because it's old. Yeah, my honorable mention is also an old game score. Uh, it is uh, Planescape Torment. They put the game out on consoles, which is shocking because that's not a game that you would ever expect to be on a PS4. But here we go. Uh, the composer was Mark Morgan. I mean, the game came out 20 years ago. or mm-hmm. Actually, well, 20 years ago next month. So uh, it just has a great, great industrial feel or like sound to it that, you know, I just like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great and memorable score. I mean, it's got memorable tunes as well yeah. that will stick in your brain. Like very memorable characters, specific so- like songs, and just good like town music as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember this being um, you know one of the great RPG soundtracks of the 90s. Yeah. So with the game remaining perpetually... Well, it's not been perpetually in print, but it's come back now. It came back like a few years. I think it was put, put on GOG finally, and then it hit Steam like a year ago, maybe two years ago. And now this year... It came to PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. <laughs> is the soundtrack in any way changed or remastered, or is this nope. uh, just original the original it's yep. re-released? But still holds up. Let's get into soundtracks we liked this year from video games, starting at number five. Mark. Uh, mine was Tetris 99. Uh, I think it's it's very analogous to the uh, Pac-Man Championship DX game, where they did like a modern version of Tetris songs, especially the mm-hmm. main one, Koro Benikaki, I think. Yeah, so this is the original um, Tetris Game Boy so, tunes it's like ty- pumped yeah, up. Yeah, it's like Music A, I think, or Song A. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the Russian folk song. Uh, I mean, they had two mm-hmm. in there, I think, but it's the main one that people class or you know most recognize as Tetris. How many, how big is the soundtrack? At, well, at about thirty mu- thirty minutes of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're adding more because what they're doing is every theme has its own song. Actually, like two songs because there's like the regular theme, and then at 50 players, and I think even at 10 players, it switches up into like more something more fast paced or a different mm-hmm. song. So I think at least every stage has like three songs. Um, but you have music from Fire Emblem, Luigi's Mansion, Pokemon, Zelda, like classic Zelda, I should say, 
Uh, and like the main theme is very, it has the same beat or the same vibe as like the main theme from Pac-Man Championship DX. So mm-hmm. I'm a fan. It's great. I wish like something more substantial would come out for it. like an, an actual soundtrack, not just something ripped up from YouTube. a lot of Tetris 99 I've not heard the bass music okay for it in a very long time yeah uh, like I, I heard I heard it you know when I first played it the first couple of times I listened to it and I thought this is neat this is like a cool remix of classic Tetris music and then from then on I was either listening to podcasts or listening to other albums uh, while playing this because that's the kind of game this is for me and then of course if you're playing in I basically, once I got the Fire Emblem stage from that event, I was basically just playing with the Fire Emblem music well, from I, then on. I played a round of, it's called Tetris 99 Invictus. It's like the hard mode of Tetris 99, like mm-hmm. where it's only people who have gotten number one can unlock this mode. And the music is like extremely sinister. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, I feel bad playing this. <laughs> Because it, it doesn't take into account themes, so it just has its own like theme and music. So, yeah, but I enjoy the soundtrack quite a bit. I gotcha. I, I actually get more distracted if I listen to something else when I play it, because I very I listen to the sound cues for the game. Like when the music <laughs> changes up, then I know okay, there's 50 people left or something like that. <laughs> but what is your number five? All right, my number five is for a game I haven't played which is an expansion of a game I didn't like. So that's, of course, fun. Uh, Monster Hunter World, Iceborne. So you've played Monster Hunter World, at least. Yeah, I thought music was okay in it at the time. Yeah, you know what the music's like? It's kind of Jaunty. You know, ni- nice, big melodies, folky elements, a lot of instrumental solos in the foreground, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of harp and piano and, and that kind of thing, right? The previous Monster Hunter World score was pretty good, uh, but it was um, definitely, I think, suffering from a lack of production value. Um, they didn't have, you know, they had some soloists, but they didn't really have a full orchestra most of the time. There's a lot of synth augmentation or synths trying to sound like an orchestra. Um, it wasn't, you know, perfectly realized yet. But since Monster Hunter World has been such a gigantic success, um, 
since it has exceeded expectations in every way. I think when they did this expansion, they just went all out. Uh, I mean, this is an incredible, it's like three and a half hours of music. It is absolutely magnificent. Um, you know, huge orchestra. Uh, all of the classic Monster Hunter World themes come back. Bunch of new ones as well. Lots of good kind of uh, somber, icy music. I mean, it makes sense for this for the setting. It's a ton of content. A ton of great music there uh, in that game. Now it's time for you to dive into that game and play it for real. <laughs> no, here's the thing: I don't like Monster Hunter at all. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't like the um, very how fastidious you have to be in approaching a hunt. Um, I don't like the finicky mechanics. Um, it generally just everything takes more effort than I'm willing to put into it, and I absolutely hate the menu design. Like getting online or just the whole menu design to begin with? Every, anytime you've got a... I mean, the online matchmaking is terrible, of course, but the entire menu system, um, all the menus in that game are just, from a UI design standpoint, drive me crazy. Um, but I understand why people love it. I understand why it's a, a popular game, but yeah. Yeah. I, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake when I bought that Monster Hunter World. <laughs> Um, but I like the music, and I like this new one a lot more still. See, I, Iceborne I actually like great. killing like the small monsters in that game. But yeah, the bigger stuff, like the, the stuff that like flies around, is like this is not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is extremely not fun. <laughs> so yeah, uh, my number four is Cadence of Hyrule. Uh, 
Yep, Danny. Uh, what's his Baranowski. name? Danny Baranowski. Yeah. Yeah. Another banger. Yep. I think he does a really good job of like doing remixes of like pretty Zelda iconic themes, like the mm-hmm. cave, you know, Link to the Past cave theme, or you know, the town theme or overworld theme. Uh, I mean, there you can tell like there are some some melodies from the games. Because I mean, it's not like some unlicensed thing. Like he had Nintendo's permission, obviously. So. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he, he's he could, totally he, using. He, yeah, he could he could obviously do that. But I mean, he adds a lot of like effects and different music on top of those to make it to make him sound mostly new. Especially, he's like, also sometimes doing things where he takes smaller motifs from larger pieces and then just builds a new track around them. Yeah. So he does he does get to be inventive, but he's always. It's it's really if you're very if you're the kind of person who knows uh, your Zelda music kind of in and out or oh, yeah. is familiar with um, with a lot of those themes, it's really neat how um, Danny B deconstructs them and uh, like sometimes what what he chooses to punch up is really interesting and sometimes like he will he will really like narrow focus on something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's I think it's a, actually a really good. Uh, combination of like Zelda music, like the orchestral kind of slower stuff, and then like Necromancer music, where it's much more fast-paced and electronic. Uh, like certain songs, like uh, Kakariko Village theme is like really great for that. Showing that. Evaluating this based on like how it figures into the rhythm gameplay, or is no, this, it's pretty like, much. Do you listen to the soundtrack outside of the game? Oh yeah. Like, is this is this something that you return to a lot? Oh yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, same with like Necrodancer too. So, yeah, I. Oh yeah, Necro Necrodancer in your regular rotation stuff. Oh yeah, but actually, uh, I don't like the heavy metal version, but I, re- I like the original one and like the even like, the more techno version that they did. Uh, so yeah, I will listen to those songs and Games of Hyrule like pretty often. <laughs> Cool, cool. Uh, what's your number four with it with an asterisk? Um, <laughs> well, my number four is um, since we're talking soundtracks, you know, usually I'm picking things for the orchestral music. Uh, this one, it's got a score 
I forget who the actually I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up right now. Uh because I I can't uh remember now. It's gonna be up we both know little Wayne. <laughs> uh Ludwig Forsell. Um, That's made also up. the composer of yeah he's he also did uh, the Phantom Pain I guess and Ground Zeroes so uh, yeah not a composer that I'm particularly familiar with um, obviously I'm talking about Death Stranding um, the orchestral score is kind of understated very atmospheric very dark but what really gets me in that game is the use of songs um, it's just a fantastic collection of. I don't even know what I would call this genre. It's like folky electronica. Like Churches is the most well-known band on the soundtrack. And I like that Churches song a lot. But then there's also this band called Low Roar. The usage of music is kind of like um, the way that Rockstar uses music in, uh, in Red Dead 2, for instance. Yeah. Where the game will build up to some stress point, to some big confrontation or something. And then once it is over and you have that sense of relief and you're on your last stretch of the of the journey, that's when one of those songs will kick in. First of March, it's clear to me There's something that's uncomforting Your body is away with me But I'm exactly where I want to be but I'm a long way from home I know your voice, I know your face This is something I cannot replace Give me hope and give me doubt Well, I loved you then, but I don't love you now I'm a
the majesty of the environment and the kind of low-key, mournful beauty of the music. I don't know, man. It just guts me. It hits like straight to the bone. Uh, somehow it's like such a powerful pairing of gameplay and music that, uh, uh, you know, like in, anytime that you hear one of those low roar songs, you're like, ah, oh, thank God this is an ordeal that I've just survived. And now I get to uh, kind of bask in, uh, you know, the, uh, living to deliver packages another day. But then you also say it's a good it's a good podcast game. <laughs> So that's true. So, oh, well, it is good. You know what? You know what helps with that is it does that thing that Metal Gear did where it will put a little like artist name and song title in the corner. Yeah. When the music first starts, uh, the way that you would in, in an old music video. <laughs> so that's like your cue where I'm like, oh, yeah, turn your podcast off. Because well, that's like the point where like now you want to focus again. Isn't it like? Uh, but the rest of the score is totally on. You know, the rest of the score just doesn't really. I'm not nominating this for the score. I'm, nom- I'm nominating this. Nominating this for the songs. Yeah. Uh, my number three is a bit like that, where I'm nominating. Or I put control on mine list. Uh, and you questioned it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because I, I actively was disappointed by the music because um, I really like Petri Alanko. I loved his score for Alan Wake. I was hoping for more along those lines, and what this ended up being was just a very modern, kind of slight electronica and atmospheric, like almost like just a sound design score at times, like not very musical at well, all. Well, the other guy who did the score, Martin Stig Anderson, also did sound design for certain games. <laughs> okay, so that's maybe the sound design part is that guy. I mean, but he, it, it felt like a very. I mean, he, did, um, he did like music for like Limbo, though. <laughs> Sure. See, I, mm. I think that I, I actually, I mean, what we said about Death Training, I would apply a lot to Control. Like, it only has like the it has two songs from Post of the Fall, like one from yeah, them. Who I love? Huh? Yeah, yeah. One from them, and then one as their old Gods of Asgard band, or you know, I don't like that mm-hmm. song as much, but I love their actual Post of the Fall song. And mm-hmm. it was funny because I watched, like came out the music video for it, and I watched it. I know this song. Where did I know this from? And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's in this one really cool sequence in Control. <laughs> it's like, no wonder I know that song. Night, the world, it's mine. With nobody else out here, it's time. Run wild and royally cavalier to burn, ignite. I do it for so much less. When all is made clear There is nothing else And here we stand The sweet 
but I think the I think the actual score is extremely understated and very it, yeah it's not like bombastic or you know super I wouldn't say loud but super like orchestral or moving but I think it's very eerie and quiet which mm-hmm. very much suits that game <laughs> because yeah. a lot of I'm not saying and that's not that's not a bad thing yeah um, it's it, you know obviously uh, working dramatically. Uh, is the most important thing for a piece of score, but it is a lesser consideration for me for this list. Yeah, I also think the bo- you know, I don't know the boss fight this- theme, but I think it's really great. <laughs> oh, okay. Because uh, it is a lo- little more energetic, I would say, especially like when you're facing this big fucking plant monster that's shooting death at you constantly. <laughs> I need to re-listen to that. Maybe I'll change my mind. Yeah, on the score. Um, like I. I think it's just it, it reminds me of like the X Files song like song song design or like music design though. Hmm. Like it comes up occasionally, but it's not like all the time or anything. Right, it's well spotted. Yeah, yeah. Um But yeah, the songs are great, posts the fall are great. Oh yeah. So we should probably play one of those. Yep. I like most of their songs, so I can't say that mm-hmm. about most bands. I, I mean, most bands, I like one or two of their songs if I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah. But with them, I, you know, it's a lot more. <laughs> All right. So we get to my number three. Yep. My number three is a game I haven't played yet, but uh, and I've only heard about forty-five minutes of music because that's all that's out on the internet right now. But what there is, I've been listening to obsessively. And I just love it to death. Um, it is uh, Jedi Fallen Order by Gordy Hobb and Stephen Barton. Uh, the composers of um, the uh, Star Wars uh, Battlefront games. Which, um, you know, those have fine scores. They they have those intricate... St- They've got the right sound. Like, the orchestrations are right. I think Gordy Hobb also did some of the Old Republic expansions, which also have great music. This, I feel, is a step beyond. Like, in addition to... Getting the soundscape right, I also think that it's genuinely brilliant, intricate action writing and really strong thematic writing. Like the themes are memorable and they feel like proper Star Wars themes and the action music feels kind of like it's it's like somewhere between the original trilogy and that very energetic stuff that was in the prequels. Yeah, it's, it's competing. I, I think it feels more like real Star Wars than... Definitely than the Mandalorian, obviously, but also like something like Jake Hino's Rogue One, I don't think hit the mark as well as this does. Uh, so uh, high praise. I think it's almost like Shadows of the Empire level Star Wars music. It's funny. It's funny going on about this. Is my cat is throwing up in the background? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably that, the that'll reaction. Be, that'll be the reaction from the podcast audience as well. That, that'll be the you audio. Cats, uh, that'll be the audio special edition for this podcast. <laughs> Well, it's all going in. I'm not doing any editing. Yeah.
my number two is let's see if I can find it real quick. Was uh, Bloodstained, uh, the Ritual of the Night. Yeah, that score is catchy. Not the other one. Uh, I mean, it helps. Like the woman who did it is Matryu Yamane. I mean, she did all the castle, mm-hmm. the good Castlevania shit. <laughs> and uh, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like classic Castlevania music. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, someone who didn't know what like the music is, you could mix half of the songs from Bloodstained and Castlevania Symphony of the Night into one album, and they would like they wouldn't know it's a different game <laughs> like the beat is simple but the orange the instrumentation makes mm-hmm. it ornate or you know makes it a lot fuller Yeah, I think it's a great soundtrack. Like, it really helps sell the Castlevania lineage, uh, or this, you know, the Symphony of the Net lineage. Uh, especially since like the gameplay is a little pretty different from like Castlevania on like a technical basis, I would say. Right, but it's the feel that they want right, to get and across. That's son- where you just you you're in that that's world a soundtrack right away. For, for you for sure. <laughs> Alright, my number two is Fire Emblem Three Houses. It's, I mean, what, what can I say? It's a classic Fire Emblem score. It's got the, the, um, let's see, there's, there's a couple of really iconic battle themes, one of which we'll probably play um, here. There is uh, um, a theme for the monastery, which has kind of a Zelda uh, town theme kind of quality. That I enjoy a lot. Uh, there are a lot of good character themes, um, but it's that uh, yeah, very very emotional 
lots of good kind of string and piano things for the emotional conversations. You know, this is a game full of soap opera kind of dialogues, so it uh, it requires requires a certain level of uh, of drama um, to the writing, and uh, it really achieves that. I feel, and the battle music is catchy as hell. Yeah, there's like a few different battle themes depending. Like, there's like a main battle theme, and then like a few different like boss battles or like bigger battle themes that help or that help differentiate, you know, from what's like the regular theme. Mm-hmm. So your number two is my number one because actually, I mean, my number one is Fire Emblem actually. Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think it actually sounds a lot like a Suikoden game. I never played any other Fire Emblem, so I can't make that comparison per se. But some of those themes are like sound like straight out of Suikoden too. <laughs> yeah, for me, I could totally, I can totally see that. It has still the same kind of long form, both the pastoral, the pastoral kind of town and and uh, then like um, the like holy night landscape or like themes. the yeah, and then mixed with like the Catholic or not Catholic, but like the church themes or like the more right like oratorio writing. Or like the night, th- yeah, like the night stuff, or like the you know honorific, you know, songs mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's I, there's some marches. Oh yeah. Uh, there's I, yeah, I think the soundtrack's just great. Like I even like like Tetris Ninety Nine, like that theme is really good in that. <laughs> Battle theme became my default 
default theme for, for Tetris. Yeah, I mean, I switch around a little, but I use that one probably the most, I would say. I, I do like the Luigi's Mansion 3 music as well that, you, that we've got now. <laughs> as but, always. Um, I actually got that yeah. game, but haven't yet to play it. <laughs> I played like an hour of it. Mm. I'm, it looks very pretty. See, I'm doing a lot with the with the engine. I played an hour of it, but I actually found it really hard. Not not mm-hmm. like it's not like difficult, but like just figuring out where to go. Like you know, I was like, I, I wasted ten minutes in like this underground underground garage because I didn't know where the fuck to go next. <laughs> but that's just not yeah, me, no, I guess. <laughs> can't help you there. It's been a long time since I've played a Luigi's Mansion game. I, this is my first one, so mm. it's an experience. What is yep. your first well, game, or last my game? My number one is another game where I've only played the beta. So I've not actually it, played the main game, but the, it, but the beta made me aware. It's funny that of the five games on your list, you've played two of them. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I played the beta, and I noticed uh, just how incredible the music was pretty much right away. And I knew I'd be trying... Once, you know, once I saw that there was a collector's edition... They came with a soundtrack CD. I knew that I had to have that. Um, so I got it. It's Code Vein. Um, by... Uh, what's his face? It goes by Go. Let's see. Uh, Masaru Shina, or Go Shina, as he's sometimes called. Um, composer of the um, God Eater games. The mark of quality which, right there. <laughs> yeah, which I have not played. And I'm only passingly familiar with the soundtrack. I've played two of them, and I couldn't tell you a damn thing about them. <laughs> and I'm assuming they're in the same vein as this uh, this Code Vein uh, score, but this Code Vein score is just on just another level. Like it is so dense um, with stuff. It is like it blends genres. It there are parts of it where you think you're listening to Shostakovich, and it feels like kind of Russian waltzes, Russian choir. There is uh, heavy metal elements. There is kind of pop drum elements. There is a main theme on brass that is absolutely huge. I mean, just this like heroic, this big heroic brassy thing that's very, very densely orchestrated with a lot of kind of parts um, coming in uh, in the stereo field and stuff. And uh, you've got uh, soloists uh, doing both English and Japanese vocals. Uh, Did I mention the choir? Huge choir. um, Singing mostly like Latin and English stuff. So you've got all all these kind of components. But above all, it is just the most over-the-top melodramatic thing that you've ever heard. Like it is a soundtrack that it starts at 11 and then it stays at 11 almost the entire time there's like very little there's almost no boredom there's a lot of variety a lot of different like there's something new around every corner and um you know by the time (laughs) you get to the end credits which is just like super emotional like seven minute ballad uh about the (laughs) that it's it's similar to i mean like a comparison it's structurally it kind of reminds me of something like near automata where um, you've got kind of, uh, you know, electronica and big choir and like all, all this kind of stuff intermingling. Um, and then a couple of uh, uh, songs, central songs that express the inner life of the protagonist. 
It's what it seems to be, or or it seems to be about the the main girl in Code Vein who uh, who shepherds you. I, I I met her in the beginning of the beta, so I'm assuming that that end title song is about her. But yeah, even without the context, uh, this is a remarkable. Just this is just a remarkable album. Like it doesn't it kind of doesn't matter what it was written for. But um, I also just noticed that the music was pretty fantastic in the little bits of the game that I did experience. So. Yeah. I'm pretty gung-ho on it, as you can tell.
I, I really want to track down his God Eater scores now. I need to get those. I'm sure those are online pretty easily. Or, you know. Yeah. Well, you, there are CDs. I can go to Play Asia or something. We'll probably have them. At $200 per CD. <laughs> but yeah. So that's our favorite soundtracks of the year. Well, he, he's done a bunch of stuff. He did a wow! He did like a bunch of Tekken shit. Oh yeah, Tekken stuff. Since like Tekken, I've not heard that. Tekken Five and on. Either. Yeah. Did some Tales games, which are all pretty decent. Oh, Tales of Hysteria, Zestiria, I should say. No. No, what? Uh he did like no. He, it's not Tales. Not not those Tales. He did t- Tales of the World. Okay. And Tales of the co- Tales of the Rays. Okay, he co-composed Tales of Hysteria with Motoi Sakuraba. He did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see Hysteria. Uh, he did. Who's the composer of Valkyrie Profile? Yeah. And Dark Souls. Again, the mark of quality. <laughs> yeah. Hey, D- Dark Souls one is a great score. Hey man, he also did Ace Combat three in Mr. Driller. <laughs> oh, nice. Those Ace Combat scores are, you know, that's like the level. The, the, if you want to talk about melodrama, yeah, there's a melodramatic series for you. So much sad piano. And fortunately, I, I guess uh, he moved on because he didn't do the last Ace Combat game. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, gosh, you know, I bought that game and a Hotas. <laughs> oh, Ace Combat Seven. Yeah, it's fine. Like actually. I mean, I playing with the controller it. is a lot better, especially in like this one particular map or mission is really. I could see it being really annoying with a, with a joystick. <laughs> really? Because it's like a stealth mission where like there are a bunch of like en- enemy radar stations mm-hmm. around. And you have to like navigate this like very limited path. It's like, oh man, that would be bad with a joystick. <laughs> oh. But okay. Yep, that's our list for best game soundtracks. Uh I'm not sure what our plans are, but I imagine that we may do another podcast, maybe at the end of the year, about our personal favorite games. Yeah, and hope- we need to we, we need to come up with that. That's going to be much harder. And hopefully, you don't have a bunch of games you haven't played on there. <laughs> no, no, no. That's see, that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm not gonna. I've listened to all of these scores. Yeah. I have experienced them. I've not experienced them in the dramatic context for which they were written, but I've experienced them well enough uh, to say that they're my favorite albums. Yeah. Uh, but with games, it's gonna be really hard because a lot of stuff that I, I want to like, I want to put judgment on there, but I haven't played enough judgment for that to be um, a valid thing to do. I mean, I, have, I, didn't, I actually didn't finish Judgment. I still, I mean, I reviewed it and played it. But that's a long ass game, first of all. So I could see, like, I mean, if, if you how played it for you, like, how can you review Judgment if you haven't finished it? Because I still liked enough of what I played. Mm-hmm. Right, but I mean, what if Judgment completely shits the bed in the finale? Like, what if there's a terrible twist at the end that completely ruins your appreciation of the story? Uh, it wouldn't invalidate how much of that game I did like. Okay, it would not change your. You would not bump your score Same down by a point if I that mean, happened. You're, not, you're basically talking about a, an inverse of the Walpole, uh, which I don't think is quite. It's not. It's not valid, or that's not. Most games aren't good until they ship the ending, with the exception of Mass Effect. Mass Effect Three, 
Yeah, Mass Effect 3 is a good... Uh, actually, I felt that Mass Effect 3 was already showing um, a lot of its problems creaking, before yeah. that ending. It was creaking way... Yeah, it was creaking way before that. But, I mean, most games are bad, and then they, you know, they have some stupid, you know, stupid, quote-unquote, good ending or twist ending, and it's like, well, that didn't make the past slog a good thing. Like, it still is a bad game. Like, yeah, way- but the reverse of, like, I, I I don't know. I wouldn't be able to put a score on, you know, something that's a story, like uh, Death Stranding, right? I could never review Death Stranding before finishing it because a big part of it is does this crazy Kojima story pay off? But could you didn't you not finish Metal Gear Five? Yeah, but I also never reviewed Metal Gear Five. Okay, for anybody. Um, but I, I actually didn't play a lot of that at all. See, I played you know thirty or forty hours, so I could definitely review that game if I, if I needed to. <laughs> you know, I it's weird. I fell off Metal Gear Five very quickly, yet. I am like I'm way I'm like significantly deeper into Death Stranding than I ever got into Metal Gear Solid Five. What if you could just start faulting shit left and right and, and Death Stranding? <laughs> I mean, one thing that I love about Death Stranding that I didn't get to mention earlier when I was talking about it is, you know, part of the cooperative stuff. It's not just the uh, you build stuff to help each other out, but there's also like you can pass deliveries between people through those post boxes. So you can set up a post box and you can say, I can't possibly make this particular delivery. I'm going to ferry that delivery off to another player. And that player can pick that delivery up. And if that player makes the delivery for me, I still get the likes, which is yeah. the reward system. <laughs> Sorry. And and of course, it's a mutually beneficial relationship for both um, porters. But... Uh, Man, it's just there's like a sense of there's like a real sense of community. Yeah. Similar to I I guess your comparison to a Nobi Nobi Boy is not that crazy. It's like a Nobi 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 Boy or Dark Souls, um, but more so. And in all three in all three games, you're just trying to give girl length. <laughs> <laughs> well. And on that note, <laughs> we'll probably do another one of these maybe next month. Yep, we'll see. We'll see how it checks out. Yeah. And have a good one, everyone. I'll renew this world.